You're listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com. This message is called Christ Beautiful. Message is called Christ Beautiful. And here in Romans chapter 15 and verse 13, I'm going to really camp on one verse, which says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy. How much joy? all joy, and all peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit, so by by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Okay, let me pray. Pray with me, church. Father, we come to you now, and we seek you with all of our hearts because you have drawn us near by the blood, by the blood of Christ, and we seek you, God. We ask, God, that you would allow us to enter in to a deep and rich and full communion with you, the creator, the sustainer, the savior. And God, we need you. We need you to heal our souls and our bodies of many broken parts. We need you, God, to draw us out of many dark places. We need you to fill us with your divine and complete and total love. God, there is no place inside us that we cannot think that we don't need you. We need you that much. And so be that strong in our life. Guide us now all the more that you would actually be our God, our Lord and our Savior, and that we would be your children. God, we pray this now in Jesus' name. And if you agree with this, you will say... Don't run past, church, this verse here in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of hope, may that God of hope, may that God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace. We, we live in a culture and, and in a surrounding environment at so many different levels. It's, it would be in the coffee house so often, and then it would be in all kinds of different realms of government, It's on social media that is trying to tell you that Jesus Christ is not beautiful. Jesus Christ is absolutely beautiful. He is glorious and fantastic. But here's what what people don't understand. They don't understand how he works in and through the negative. So now I'm going to date myself a little bit, but I will say that my sons, my 20-somethings, they all love this, this part of the street. So uh, I'm going to date myself, though. But believe it or not, there was a day in which that didn't exist, <laughs> to which we could all say amen, right? So this phone, there was a day in which this phone didn't exist. There's a day in which, as we manifest, the digital world didn't exist. And so, so in my teen years, when the dinosaurs were walking around on planet Earth, right? <laughs> When you took a photo of a traditional camera and you went click, and then sometimes you had to manually forward it, right? And then sometimes there'd be a flash on top and it would go like this and go like that. And that's how you took photos. And then you would get like a fancy Minolta, but then you would put film in the back of it and close the back of it. And you have your little zoom going on and you still went click, click, click. And if you were really, really fancy, that camera went click, 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 click. And so... So what you did is you took the film out, 
And then you went and you turned the film in. Now, back in my day, my teenage years, right? So this is when I had a Letterman jacket on, and I'm with all my friends. You know, all of the cute girls in town, they worked at this, like, Kodak little pop-up store, which was in the middle of a parking lot. Like, I don't know what the requirement was. It's like all the gorgeous high school girls were there. And I, most of us here, if you grew up here locally, you, you kind of miss out on the urban area where I grew up in. And that we, we'd, have, we'd have 10 high schools of four to 5,000 people, you know, within miles of one another. And so you're like, I, well, who is that? And who is that? And, well, I'm going to go show my Letterman jacket to her. So what you had to do is you had to drive through the parking lot. And you went to this little pop-up with your friends. And then there, there would be like this gal and sometimes a guy on a chair. And then they gave you film. <laughs> like that was way back in the day. And so then you got the film and you opened up the envelope on the film. And then you saw your film. But then there was a little sleeve in the front of that envelope that you pulled out. And it was called the negative. Are you with me, church? Okay, so then, so then you pull out the negative. Right now, usually what's happening is that you got a Slurpee with your high school buddy, your friends, or that kind of thing, and then they're looking at the films, but you're looking at the negative, which is the same as that film. But what's going to happen to the negative is that you could go into a dark room, you could go into another room, and that you could take that negative, and that you could change it, and you could, you could actually alter the colors, you could, have the, you could have the image actually come out with greater clarity, you could enlarge it, and you could actually have a poster, and it would look 100% more beautiful than before. And so Jesus is actually so beautiful, because he is going to take the negative of your life. Church, are you with me? This is that phrase here in the text, may the God of hope, do you need hope today? May the God of hope take, take that negative out. You, you have pot pictures in your life of positivity and you can take them out and see them, but there's a negative that he's going to take out and it's not quite clear, it's not quite all that. And he's actually going to take it into his room and he's going to beautify it. He's going to transform it and he's actually going to enlarge it in a sense and then, he, and then you're going to see it and you're going to say, wow, I just didn't know. And that's a changed life that Christ offers to us. I have a, 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 very, a series of very good friends in the same industry, but one in particular who makes just unbelievable amounts of money because what he still does, even in the digital world, even to right now, if I were to tell you his name, yeah, you, some of you might know him if you follow art or whatever, but, but he takes a traditional photo and he takes the negative and what he does is he actually takes that photo. And when you see the photo, and I've been with him, it looks smeared. It doesn't look right. But he takes that smear and all of that. He takes it into the dark room. And then he changes it. And he will actually make a poster that is 20 to 40 stories tall of urban buildings that go all the way up. And they're spectacular to look at. And then that's what I'm talking about here, the God of hope. Because you're, you're, you have things, we have things of, 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 of these burdens or these scares or these fears or these challenges, and, and they look negative to us. And I'm here to tell you that Christ is beautiful. And he is going to take the negatives of your life, and he will take them to a place. And you have to cooperate with him taking it to a place. If it stays in the envelope, it's not going to work. It's always going to be a negative. You got to let him take that thing out of the envelope and take it into his store shop. In this case, it's a dark room as we talk about the mechanics of that so that he can, he can change everything about that and make it what he wants, which is beautiful.
because he makes things beautiful. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. This is the idea that we as Christians, in spite of all circumstances, can experience joy and experience, and experience real peace. It doesn't mean the circumstances aren't real. Of course they're real. But we can experience this joy and this peace in the middle of all of that. And so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, you may believe. Let me just outline believing for a moment. And I'm going to reference Acts chapter 2 as we get there. But in Acts chapter 2, uh, this is kind of sometimes called the four principles. And this is the nature of how church works. And actually, our church is born off of these. So the first of these four principles in Acts chapter 2, by way of a cross-reference, is the apostles' doctrine. The second is fellowship. The third is the breaking of bread and then prayers. These four principles are what are, what are foundational towards our believing and even our, our church, the apostles' doctrine. Listen, I, I don't know where you're at. You have to understand there's an apostles' doctrine. It's not everything goes. Jesus Christ is God, which means he's not only human as he came in the flesh, he's divine. He is the Elohim Yahweh by Hebrew terms who actually came and manifest himself as Messiah and saved us and went to the cross and three days later was resurrected. And that's why we're here. So our belief system is not everything goes. There are false religions, and there are lies about Christ, and there are false beliefs about Christ. We believe the apostolic doctrine of the very first followers of Jesus, those who saw him walk on water, those who walked on water with him, those who saw him do miracles, feeding the 5,000, raising people from the dead, whole cities being healed all at once, towns and fellowships coming to the door, all of that, all of that, those first followers who wrote these things down, their doctrine is what we believe. Not what we make up. Not what we want. You leave it up to Pastor Rick Soto, he would make up an easier following of Jesus Christ, which would sort of be made up like, do whatever you want. Right? Do whatever you want. Why? Why would I say that? Because I don't like drama. I don't want any more drama. You want to go do whatever you want? Do whatever you want. Right? That would be my permissibility. Right? Let me do what I want. No. Don't let me do what I want. <laughs> That's the whole nature of salvation. I've been saved from doing whatever I want. I paid the price for doing whatever I want. I don't want that for me or anybody else. Amen. I want to be saved. I want a new life and new power. You want new life and new power. That's real. And so it's not everything goes. And for those of you who are the smarty pants out there and you have to have some sort of like intellectual apologetic to understand these things or say, prove it, pastor, prove it, pastor. Well, I'll tell you, put Jesus Christ to the test. But I'll give you one example right now that I've been studying for quite some time. Jesus Christ, when he died, had disciples. And they had disciples and they had disciples. You can go back approximately 100 years. And this is in Turkey. This is in Greece. This is in uh, the Middle East. This would be Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq. This would be in Egypt. This would be in Ethiopia. This would be in Spain, as an example. Uh, this would be parts of Europe. So, so the gospel went to those places, and those guys became known as the church fathers, and they're preaching like I'm preaching to you now, and I just quoted a verse. I quoted one verse, verse 13 here to you, and they wrote these things down in their, you know, uh, uh, sermons, as, as you will, 
and, and their church had those things and circulated. There, there is academically no debate as to the integrity of those documents 100 years later. I'm not talking about the Bible itself. I'm talking about these men uh, 100 years later preaching the gospel, quoting the Bible all over the world. You, we now have all of those. I'm not talking about the original documents of the Bible. I'm talking about Bible quotes from pastors 100 years after Jesus quoting the Bible. We can put, we can put that together. You got that from quotes. You know what a quote book is, right? So we have Spurgeon quote books. We have C.S. Lewis quote books. We have other authors' quote books. From the quotes of the church fathers 100 years after Jesus died, all over different continents dying for their life, their very quotes, quoting the Bible in documents that we have well-preserved without any academic debate, you get this. We believe in the apostles' doctrine. We believe in fellowship. We believe in fellowship. So here's church what we have to embrace and help others to embrace. So the New Testament and the apostles of Jesus and the disciples of Jesus and the New Covenant Church don't know anything about not going to church. You have to kind of understand, Jesus says, Matthew, follow me. Where are you going? I'm going for a walk. Right? He's going to take a group, and he's going to take them for a walk. And he's going to take them to other communities. And then actually women are going to follow him, and other people are going to follow him, and they're actually going to like hanging out with each other. This whole mentality that I don't do church, but I'm somehow a Christian, is no, you're perverted in what you're thinking. The New Testament doesn't know any of that. I understand, you know, some of us have professional things that kick us sideways. There's, 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 there's sort of the understanding of things that can happen. I'm talking about the attitude and kind of this conviction that somehow I don't go to church, but I'm a follower of Christ. I'm here to tell you, you're not. And the reason, which kind of gets into the next verse, is you need people. You need people in your life who are following Christ, and you need to be a giver. <laughs> like You need to enter into a covenant of community of people, and you need to be a giver and, 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 be, and be a receiver. No, nobody advances in the kingdom with that, that duality of giving and receiving and giving and receiving. You actually need that. And so the apostles did this, and this is one of the secrets. The apostles, in terms of their fellowship, invited everybody who was an outcast. This is a, another redo if you follow King David, where the Bible says that basically those are rejects, you know, criminals, you know, low of society, no respectful person. All of those kind of com comments about who they were in terms of character came together with King David and formed an army for God. In that spiritual sense, it's the same thing. So we like fellowship. We like hanging out. And, and, and we invite everybody to hang out. You want to hang out? Hang out with me. <laughs> you know, you can. You can do that. You want to call me? Here's my number, 805-729-3214. Call me. I'll return your call as best I can, right? I mean, nobody's hiding here, right? No, no, we, we want to be inclusive in the sense of, do you, want, do you want to follow Jesus? You have got to be in fellowship. And if you don't, you lose. 
You've got to be inside a committed fellowship. And here's the thing that just pastorally breaks my heart is that we are committed to people in our church. We are in our community. Like, I, I'm going to be braggadocious in the Lord for a moment, but I'm going to tell you that the pastors and elders of the church, we don't let anybody go. I sometimes fear being a little cultish, you know, because it's like, like you know, <laughs> hey, hey, we, you know, where are you kind of thing, you know? And we'll go to your homes, and we want to check uh, on you. Check on you. What I, what I mean is if you're not doing well, if you need help, I can't tell you how many homes that we found out that somebody doesn't have food and can't pay rent, and we don't make a big deal about it publicly so that we can honor people. And then we have a tag team approach where several of us will go over, and of course, we're praying for the person, praying for you, praying. But in the group dynamics, one of us is going to go and open a few you know, cabinets and find out, and we walk out, and we're crying. Like, we're crying, how is it possible that somebody in my community cannot eat? Like, I'm not good with that. And what you don't see is how many of us will just go, and sometimes I'm getting my cards out, and some are you, and y'all beat me to like Albertsons or whatever, and you're like, no, Pastor, I got this. You go get the next one. Why is that? Because it's church, and because it's Christ, and it's Christ, and it's his church. And so we're not going to not look out for one another. We're going to look out for one another and in our communities. And we love it. And we love it. And we literally live for it. Like, yes. Yes, the people of God, yes. And so the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread. Oh, this is the nature of, of actually our community and our communion with God. This is actually speaking uniquely to actually taking communion together and the habit of of all of that, and it's the nature of our spiritual exercises. It's the nature of our spiritual disciplines together. And then lastly, prayers. We should pray together. We need to pray together. Uh, you need to come forward after church and receive prayer. You need to give prayer. You need to be participating in prayer. So these things, apostles, doctrine, fellowship, bread, and prayer, these are believing principles of our hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing and believing and knowing that those four principles are true. Christ is beautiful. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. In other words, your hope may grow and grow and grow. Christ is beautiful. Well, the Apostle Paul had lists, and so I have some lists here. I'm going to give you a little bit of a list related to the Holy Spirit and a couple things that I want us to talk about related to that. So related to the Holy Spirit, there are actually four, a few things that I want us to chase. Yeah. So the first is, he is our down payment. So he is actually our down payment. So you buy a car, you buy a car and you put the down payment down and then you go over a period of acceptable terms one month after another, and you pay that thing off, and hopefully you have a good term and a good rate, and you pay it off very well. Down payment means I get the car now, I'm using it. In that sense, I'm potentially depreciating it. However, I am making payments on it, paid, final, full payment, it's mine totally, right? Okay, the cross, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is that down payment. But you are not paying the rest of the bill. Jesus says, it's finished. I paid it all. So you're not paying for your sins. 
You're not paying for it all. He, he actually, the Holy Spirit inside you, the supernatural nature of the Holy Spirit is actually God's down payment to you from the cross that you actually belong to him. And he will animate it and he will activate it. And that's what Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14 is alluding to. Some translations call it the guarantee, but a down payment is a stronger English translation for that. So the Holy Spirit is actually that down payment. It's part of how we know we're a Christians. It's part of how we know we're following Jesus Christ. Secondly, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is actually the first fruits given to us. That's actually Romans chapter 8, verse 23. So the Holy Spirit is that first fruits. First fruits is an Old Testament term where you can look down here. We have vines and look on the top and we have, there's an, obviously an ag work. And you were to take the very first day that you're chopping and that you're, you're, actually, you're actually gleaning, you're going to take the very best of that and give it to Christ. Okay, it's a reverse. God is saying, I'm taking the very best of me and I'm giving it to you, the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. He's saying, I'm taking that divine entity inside of me, which is actually God, and I'm actually giving it to you because you can't live the Christian life and you can't make it without me and there aren't rituals involved. I'm going to draw you close to myself. So I give you the first fruits of my own heart. And the purpose of that is for abundance. The purpose of that is so that you would know the best of God. It's incredible, first fruits. So there's a down payment with the Holy Spirit in terms of its ministry in our lives. There's a first fruits offering. Third, and I love this, is actually related to a seal. And uh, this is an idea of a seal uh, from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And so a seal is like a signet ring, and you would have a letter, and you put the wax on it, you take the signet ring, and you burn it in the wax, and there's the marking of the author right there, and that's the Holy Spirit. So an earthly way of thinking about that in contemporary ways is to think about a tattoo. And there are kind of like tattoo people and not tattoo people. <laughs> and, and, and I probably, to be perfectly candid with you, church, I'd be a tattoo person, but I cannot resolve in my mind how to permanently, fashionably mark myself that way so I can't do it. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know how to do that. I actually really impressed with people used to do that. And I can't, I can't do that. But there are tattoo people, not tattoo people. So here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is the tattoo on your heart and your soul. He's actually tattooed you. You know what's fascinating about a tattoo? You really can't take it off. You really can't. What, what, if you really have a real sleeve or you have some real markings or that kind of thing, then you really, you really can't take it off. It's going to be marked there. It's gonna, you're going to see it. That's the Holy Spirit. I mark you. You belong to Christ. You belong to God. You, you are the one that I have determined to bless. I mark you. I mark you for power. I mark you for guidance and for goodness. And so, so the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is in that sense a spiritual tattoo. And what's fascinating, I said there's tattoo people, not tattoo people. What's fascinating, there's Holy Spirit people, not Holy Spirit people. So sometimes I'll say to somebody, I say, really, your issues you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And they, they sort of resist. And it's just God bringing conviction on their lives. But no, you don't want to resist that. You want to say yes to the Holy Spirit. Every single time. Verse 14. Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, speaking to the Romans, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. One of my, one of my favorite verses is found uh, in Psalms, which says, I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I pray that would 
be you and come to you. So all of these things that I've said, I sort of hit on church, hopefully hard enough, to understand that we, we read these words here. You know, the God of hope, filled with all joy, peace, power, Holy Spirit, abound in hope. And we tend to think of it in a very individualistic way. We don't think of it in a communal way. And these things are actually to be nurtured and lived out in great community with one another. It's very, very communal. And we are so individualistic. We really are. Some time ago, I was uh, in this academic program and a huge chessboard, uh, maybe about a third of the size of the tent, was put in front of my uh, classmates. And so uh, a number of the classmates were from Africa, a number from Asia. It was an international group. Uh, a number of Brits were there and a bunch of Americans and some Latin Americans. And so, so we were divided into basically where we, where we lived. So there was, and, and this, this board was a checkerboard and it had uh, buzzers underneath and the goal was to get to the other side as fast as you can. And if you step on the wrong square, it went, you know, and then, you, then somebody had to go back and it's like, how many times can you try going across and how fast you can get across and that kind of thing. And so, so, so here we are about being individualistic, right? So we gather together. I'm the only one in my group without a doctor, right? So I'm with a bunch of smarty pads there. So, so, they, so they literally tell me, they go, you know what? This is such a simple exercise. Pastor Rick can figure it out, right? So they say stuff like that. I'm like, okay. So I go, well, here's what I would do. I would actually just, there's seven of us on a team, I would sacrifice. So I would say the first person just walks across, all of us watch, and then they step on the wrong one, and we have marked where to go. That person comes back, and then the next one goes farther, the next one goes farther. All we need is to get one across as fast as possible. We'll sacrifice six, get one over there. Who cares? Well, we win, we win this silly drill. All right, so we won. We won. Now, what's fascinating is, is, that, is, that, is that the Africans looked at us, and, and, and they were actually, because they live in community and because they believe in their elders, they were trying to find an older person who knew about this drill to try and solve it. In other words, it would be dishonorable and disrespectful for them as youngers to try and do this thing. And so they're, they're, the nature of them living in community was that we we're going to actually value the opinions of one another. and We're not going to run and talk over one another, which is what my group was doing, all but yelling at one another. And then the Asians were very similar to that. Uh, and then they, they began to actually, you know, you know kind of kind of take a few steps forward. What was fascinating was the European and the Brits, they were fighting the whole time. Uh, they, got no, they got nothing done. It's so funny. But that drill was sort of my, one of my orientations to understand inside of me the deeply individualistic nature, even of myself, as I preach this and teach this, how much I resist communal living in church sometimes. So I'm going to bless you here with the list, what I'm going to call the one another list from a Greek word called alelon, and it will show you what the church is and what it means to be together. I got 13 quick points with this. I promise I'm going to do this really quick. Related to living in a community and living with one another, members of Christ are one another. So we're members of one another, Romans chapter 12, verse 5. We are to build one another up, Romans chapter 14, verse 19. We are actually to care for one another, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25. We're to actually love one another, Romans chapter 12, excuse me, Romans 13, verse 8. We're to actually pursue one another's good. In other words, what's good inside you, we're supposed to pursue that and cultivate that and nurture that, uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, 1, 15. 
We're to bear with one another in love, Ephesians 4, 2. We're to bear one another's burdens, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. We're to be kind and compassionate to one another, Ephesians 4, 32. Here, this one, church, how about this one? We're to forgive one another, Ephesians 4, 30. This is all like inside church. We're to submit to one another, Ephesians 5, 21. We are to consider one another as better than ourselves, Romans chapter 12, verse 10. We are to be devoted to one another, Romans chapter 12, verse 10. We are to live in peace, unity, harmony with each other, Romans chapter 12, verse 16. Church, you understand that? One another, the Greek word is alelon. One another. We're to be in that manner, actually, with one another as we, leave, as we live this, which is why Paul, I'll repeat it, verse 13 says, he'll say this great verse, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound. Now here's the nature of church and living in community. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that's community, that you yourselves are full of this goodness and filled with all knowledge, able to instruct one another. The Holy Spirit, as we've talked about here, the Holy Spirit, when you study in the Bible, really fascinating, because the Holy Spirit was there at creation. And so the Holy Spirit there at creation is, is in Hebrew, the Ruach. And that Ruach is actually, is actually the lungs of creation. You know, we can't breathe without our lungs. It's actually necessary for us to rest. You know, you know, breathe and respirate, so we take in this air, and that we breathe, and then that actually gives um, the right chemical components to actually our hearts beginning to, to tick and all the internal organs to work the way they're supposed to. We actually have these lungs. The Holy Spirit's the lungs of creation. Everything that is in the created order right now, physically, in the physical world, has the Holy Spirit as lungs. And so now the Holy Spirit is actually the lungs of our salvation. The Holy Spirit is actually the lungs of our life and living. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is actually these lungs. And, and it's actually what we breathe and by which we gain strength. And we ask to be filled and we ask to be filled and we ask to be filled. But church, I'm going to tell you there's a beginning time. There's a beginning time to all of this. There's lines that you cross when you go over to the other side. Where you say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to repent of my sin. I want to leave myself behind. I want to leave my sin behind, which we say, hallelujah. I want to leave my negativities behind. I want to leave my liabilities behind. I want to cross a line with Jesus Christ, and I want him to have me. I want him to be my God. I actually want to take up his invitation to be my friend. I want to be with him in such a way that I know that he's going to answer my prayers and never leave me and never forsake me. I want him, I want him who died on the cross for me, who paid the penalty of all of that and whose resurrection on the third day is all the proof that I need that he's real. And if he's going to send the Holy Spirit, then send it. There's lines that you cross. So I'm going to ask, that you invite Christ into your life, that you seal that, that you know that, that you know that you know that you know, that you leave carnality behind, that you come into Christ. 
Thank you for listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com.